0: Hello. Welcome back to Why of Peter Sink? This is part two of Databases and Red Light Districts. The fringe, which we were talking about last time, can always be found. Just pop down into your corner bar or nightclub and it will be there tonight. Likewise, in our own individual lives, we have an exploratory fringy phase, or phases, plural. Or maybe you lucked out and went straight from middle school into grandmotherly virtue, but I didn't. And if you doubt, that we need to explore, that each of us has to, and the corner bar or the nightclub doesn't prove it to you. Just take a stroll through a humanities building at any university and witness future moms and dads who are actively calling for revolution. These same world changers, in less than a decade, will be climbing corporate ladders, carting kids around, and defending and protecting the very institutions they want to see collapse. They may even be worshiping in a church and witnessing to you like... <clears throat> hypocrites like me. the age of reason or the loss of innocence almost demands exploration for if we don't at least taste the fruit of the forbidden tree then the desire to gorge will likely emerge twisted and deformed somehow later on in life. I cannot help but see this in the Garden of Eden story and in Jesus's own repeated reference references to being reborn and returning to the faith of a child maturing in plants and animals requires massive change and emergence and for us it requires asking questions and facing the great questions of life as in why am i here and where am i going and where did i come from and what is real and what is true what is good then once you get through that post-adolescent idealistic phase uh that period of time and wake up a parent you know why you are here parents confuse childless adults in this mindset all the time and the childless adult can never fully understand what it means to be a parent unless they themselves have a child it's a bridge too far to cross you can see this every time you're on an airplane and a a child is crying and the young career man or woman next to you is very irritated about the crying of the child but the other parents on the plane think it's kind of cute. It's, that's the bridge that's too far to cross, and you cannot understand it until you've raised children. The great questions in life are answered by doing what you are supposed to do. It's really simple in the end, and Jesus said things that were so obvious that it seems bizarre that God himself had to come here and tell us. The secret is this. We need to grow to marry, to have a family, and then return to our creator. In the beginning of our life, our body reaches while our soul is quiet. And in the end, our body quiets while our soul reaches. Those little clones of yourself called children provide the answer in the middle of life. Staring up at you with their big eyes, they need you to provide dinner. And while you cook, you might grumble, but that is the meaning of life. There is a very simple saying from Jesus that captures it all. If a grain of wheat dies, it bears much fruit. The wheat must die to fulfill its purpose, which is what? Well, obviously a wheat plant is not intended to live forever, or there will be no more wheat. If a wheat plant remained locked in adolescence, no wheat seeds would form on top. If it doesn't bloom, there's no seeds. And that's called a dud. Now, there are very different causes of failure to bloom in plants, some of which are not the plant's fault, but have more to do with the environment, soil, timing, various things, inputs. Those plants suffer the same burden as people who cannot reproduce. And for people who want to, this is an awful situation to be in, an awful realization. It wakens you to a yawning gulf of time ahead of you where you know having kids was what you wanted and you can't. However, today we have something different happening where there are many healthy plants, people, who choose not to flower, who refuse to bloom by choice. This is a very different kind of problem than those who cannot bloom because of a physical or environmental reason. Those who want to have children but cannot must bear a kind of suffering that the perpetual adolescent by choice cannot understand. The purpose of a wheat plant is to give itself up in order to make wheat. That is the answer. That is the secret of life. It's not what Faith Hill tells us in the country song, The Secret of Life, a song that has always confused and eluded me of having any insights into any secret of any kind. The secret of life is not Monday Night Football in a good cup of coffee, as Faith Hill claims. The secret is living to maturity and then dying to self. The secret of life is giving yourself away in the end for your spouse, your family, your country, but ultimately for God. Monday Night Football hasn't even been around for 50 years yet, but for 30,000 years humans have survived and replicated without football. Even the idea of a good cup of coffee is only about 500 years old, so there is no case to be made that the secret of life has anything to do with Starbucks or Folgers. Our lives have the exact same purpose as that of animals and plants and even skin cells in that we are to grow, survive, reproduce, and die. Is that hard to hear? Yes. How can death be something to celebrate? It's because we forget this rudimentary fact. Jesus had to remind us of something so basic that the simplicity of his profound message is incredible all by itself. The reason that pride is the root sin of all disorder is because it drives us away from our telos, our purpose, so that we think our life is about our moment in the sun and not our children and living through the seasons of life. The reason the shiny one, the serpent, convinced Eve to eat the apple was by telling her that she would become like God. That's the whole story of sin. When we desire what is not ours to have, what is not our purpose, then we get out of season. We become a cancer cell, which is a little structure that rejects that there is a season for all things. And we'll read a uh, line from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, or from the bird's song, Turn, 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 if you're more familiar with that version from, what, the 60s. There is an appointed time for everything, and a time for every affair under the heavens, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to reap. What we forget is the last part, the dying to self, the reaping. It's our, we're, we're missing the most important part, Otherwise, we just remain a self-absorbed, overgrown child. And in terms of biology, a cell that doesn't die when it should becomes a cancer cell. So what is cancer? Cancer is the refusal to complete the cycle of life, of of a cell cycle. Uh, Perhaps instead of telling someone to act their age, we should just tell them, don't be a cancer cell. Because that's the same thing. A cancer cell happens or begins, if you want to call it that, by missing the signals that should guide its tiny life. By missing prompts, like growth factors, by receiving incorrect signals, by evading messaging, and by sticking to a phase that it should move on from, a cell becomes cancerous. Like plants, this can happen due to environment and nutrient issues, but the story is the same. You can blow up this metaphor like a balloon into the life of a person that refuses to grow up or gets stuck in a rut or is forever seeking or thinks he will live forever. A normal cell knows that unless a grain of wheat diet cannot bear fruit. But a cancer cell declares, I am the fruit. And by losing its telos, its purpose in the body, the cancer cell proceeds to kill the body. This is what sin does. Cancer is disorder, and sin is our cancer founded on our pride telling us that we are the fruit, that we are the good thing, we are the God who should live forever. Pride is always what causes us to miss the signal, to evade the message, to get stuck in a phase, and to think that our ego is what life is all about. The simple falls of Genesis, the fall of man um, that seems so childish childish so mythical these things are apparent in our own lives and in our own neighborhoods if we just take a minute to observe the more we try to pretend the fall doesn't exist or conversely the more we affirm ourselves as being beautiful and perfect in every single way the worse it gets i hate to say this but the prodigal son returning to our databases and red light district story the prodigal son actually needs a place to go get drunk and try to hook up with the ladies so so does the woman at the well if you're familiar with either of these parables the prodigal son takes his money from his father goes and lives a drunken life wastes the money spends a lot of time on prostitutes and then comes back the woman at the well is someone that jesus encounters and she has five or six husbands and jesus sort of narrates her whole life back to her and he tells her that he loves her that he's the Messiah and her whole life has changed radically in that moment in one of the greatest conversion stories, maybe even better than the prodigal son's conversion story. The woman at the well is one of the greatest stories in all of the Gospels. Now, both the prodigal son and the woman at the well are lost souls, but if we never get lost, we'll never be found. So in the end, both of these people, the prodigal son and the woman at the well, are cured ...by their excess. They can't be healed... ...until they either outlive... ...or fully explore... ...those empty desires. This is the, a great contradiction. They, the illusions offered by... ...pleasure, honor... ...wealth and power... ...seduce us. And some of us come to realize... ...the falsity of those things... ...faster than others. But those who go astray... ...will be the first ones found... In fact, how can you be found unless you were lost in the first place? Those who never leave may never realize that they are lost. You can lose sight of God in a one-room apartment just as easily as you can as a highway drifter in a metal band or something. Um, It doesn't take much to lose sight of God. In fact, those who are often closest to God are sometimes lost but just never realize it, and that's the story of the Pharisees in the Gospels. So yes, the prodigal children, the prodigals, they could pray it away, but they don't. They won't. Some seed of rebellion and exploration is planted in our minds that must be explored and then exercised. So you have to watch for the signals of when it's time to get off that path, when it's you're being told. It's like the cell being told here's a here's a signal. It's time to under, enter into apoptosis. You need to, or you need to go undergo mitosis. You need to. You need, the next step of your life must be taken. You can't keep doing this thing that you're doing. Most of us, uh, I should say, most of these prodigals, um, <laughs> cancer cells, are guided down the wrong path. But some of us go searching for it, and this is where Jesus warns those who mislead. The little ones. So Jesus has this dire warning for, for people that lead other people, especially children, down bad paths. That's one of his uh, chilling statements: of if you are leading children away from God, if you are doing things to take them away, you know you'll have a millstone around your neck. It's it's scary. Um, as far as learning how to pray, you know the prodigal son, the woman at the well. If they just learn to pray, they might come back. If they learn to ask for help, then the Holy Spirit would come to them. But how many of us are even taught this today of how to do that? So few of us have any exposure to the idea of prayer. Uh, the closest thing to prayer being mass marketed now is yoga class, which, which really is teaching a kind of self-worship. It's the opposite of the Christian uh, faith to worship God, not yourself. It's the, it's the flip. So there's really nothing that can unite uh, yoga to the Christian worship unless you're somehow doing yoga over a crucifix or something. I don't know how you can merge it, but the prodigals, the ones who stray, they can't get to the idea of prayer because they don't know the way there. And for many who are lost in the search, even if they did know, they won't do it until they are ready. And St. Augustine said this famous line, Lord, let me be chaste, but not yet. He just wanted to keep sitting for a while. That's kind of how it works. That is how it works for, for many of us. You know it's you know what you're doing is wrong, but you don't want to stop. You know that you could do something better, uh, that you maybe you're, you do recognize you're the phase of life you should be moving on from, but you don't. You're not ready. And once you're ready, then everything changes because suddenly you're open to that change. We have many books and media marketing Um, convincing us that all happiness must come through a product or an experience that will fulfill the self. Our desires, we're told, is who we are. We're this big ball of desire, um, and we need that to be satisfied. Everything's got to be fulfilled in that desires. Uh, That's, for somehow, some reason, that is what our identity is now, is what we desire, and that is an identity lie. It's the worst advice imaginable. Uh, If you think another trophy will do it, another notch on the bedpost, another million dollars in the bank, another drink, another toke, you know, at some point, if you keep doing that, it's not going to fulfill you and you know it's not, but then you can't stop. But then we hear that, yes, these things will make you more fulfilled if you can just be more fit, if you can get a little more money, if you can have that boat. Now, how can we take any of this seriously? Um, of course, we know more of the same will not satisfy us, but we, we keep going back to it. It's more of the same, and yet we keep doing it. So there's a, the cruel trick, or glorious revelation, depending on your point of view. It happens to the prodigal son and the woman at the well when they get what they want. And they learn in the end that what they wanted, it wasn't what they wanted at all. What they wanted was love. And the drinking and the sex failed to give it. You can see this happen the same way in people who buy a new boat or a new house. The experience or the possession failed to deliver. A 350 horsepower boat is not as fast or powerful as a twin engine 400 horsepower boat. But neither boat will fill the hole that the boat is trying to fill in your heart. The prodigal son and the woman at the well They both end their stories in what you'd call a drop-the-nets moment. Uh, Drop-the-nets being what Peter and Andrew do when they meet Jesus and realize who he is. They're like, well, we're done fishing, and we're following you now. When they catch all the fish that they thought they wanted, they suddenly realize they didn't really want the fish. They see what they wanted. They drop the nets and the fish like a bad habit. They leave everything to follow Jesus because he is what they were looking for. In finding him, they are now done looking forever. They could suddenly rest and stop searching. They wanted something greater than their desires, more than things or experiences of this world could ever provide. And they found it in a fully human and fully divine person named Jesus. Who would have thought they found it in a construction worker? Perhaps we should think of that um, whenever we drive by these invisible men in hard hats and dirty clothes who stand on scaffolding and roofs and trusses in our cities and towns. They are the new invisible people. Rebellion. Rebellion plays out. It's supposed to play out but it always leads to the same end where the vapid and false freedom of doing whatever I want proves empty and meaningless. Given that this exploration this exploration will happen, whether we like the idea or not, there is reason to allow an outlet for people to go and explore this rebellion because everyone must explore it and some are going to do it much more than others. Law and order is required to keep it within reason That's why the police are always on 24 hours a day, because uh, our rebellion is on 24 hours a day. One thing proven over and over is that the more you clamp down on this balloon of rebellion, the stranger the manifestation of rebellion that squirts out. There's no reason to encourage rebellion, but there's also no denying it will happen. Bad desires are like infections that must be treated early, Ideally, by talking rather than doing them or carrying them out. Many are guided and pointed down a wrong path and may not have known of other choices. And others will have a good guide and be pointed in the right direction. And even those pointed in the right direction will still ignore the good advice because the call of the fall of our pride is so strong. Ultimately, you can't keep Rapunzel hidden in the tower in the woods forever. This argument against censorship of things to children, it preaches this. And like most fairy tales, it rings true to some extent. There's a lot of truth to it. Um, However, there's a reverse story happening today where the prince takes Rapunzel out of the tower too soon when she's about five years old and drops her off at Hastings Avenue in Vancouver, British Columbia at midnight. The argument against censorship has created our current state of the world, where ideas are arriving in children's brains via the Wild West of smartphones, way before those brains are ready for it. And now it has been blessed by policymakers, in the schools and the government. This too is very biblical. What you're seeing going on, we're seeing the story of Rapunzel, where she gets out of the tower around maybe 18 in the in the fairy tale. We're taking Rapunzel out of the tower at age five and putting her into situations where Rapunzel shouldn't really be until a little later. And we've seen this before. Whenever I hear someone toss out the line that the Bible is a Bronze Age mythology, it's goat herder, tales of yore, I'm instantly assured that they have not properly read it or understood it as I used to not properly. I didn't understand it at all. Um, And those people are likely reading Genesis, Exodus, and Judges as science or history books rather than as a tour through the heart of every human who ever lived. Giving dangerous things to people before they are ready for them is one of the primary ideas in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve are told that they can skip all the steps of growing to be like God. They are promised a shortcut. And who doesn't want that? That's our nature to take the easy route to cut the corner. When faced with preparing a, let's say a proper dinner or microwaving a frozen pizza, I'd probably choose the latter. I want what is easy, what's available like right now. And this is what the fruit represents to Adam and Eve. This is the first example of our moderns' obsession for instant gratification. They can leap ahead in time by eating the fruit without any need for maturity At all. There's no growth needed. They're going from the age of innocence to God. Like, that's what the the snake is promising. This is the same defense people are offering today for psychedelic drugs as the way to transcendence. The drug is promised as the superhighway to God. But like every shortcut, it comes with unintended consequences. The superhighway does not provide the same journey as life itself. As you will only see... The billboards and gas stations, whereas the slow path, if you take the superhighway, you might get there faster, but the slow path through the woods gives intangible rewards like grace and wisdom. The nature, you you take the nature walk the slow way, you grow. If you take the superhighway, you don't. The difference between reaching for transcendence through, say, magic mushrooms versus doing the rosary is that in the first one, you are the subject. You are... You are trying to just go straight to God. And the second one, you fade away completely in favor of God and the Blessed Mother. The serpent offers Eve the fruit as knowledge of good and evil so that she may be like God. That's for her and Adam. But what happens surprises them. They do not become like God. It's kind of the opposite. They become fallen. They would have been better off locked in Rapunzel's tower for a longer period as they were not ready for the devil's tempting. So their bootstrapping way to get to God has led them to being pretty much strung out, like every drug does. And now they're in a bad state, kicked out of the garden for disobedience, and ultimately for their own good, as they cannot be in the place where God is, as the Garden of Eden is a translation that means where God is. Thus, they have to suffer because they cannot handle living where God is just yet. They need time to grow. So we have the two extremes of total censorship versus total exposure. And as usual, a balance is somewhere in the middle because total lockdown of Rapunzel leads to a wild child who can who learns to lie really, really well. And total exposure puts her at risk of growing up way too fast for her brain chemistry to catch up. In either case, the fall will happen. Every person falls but the good news is you may be able to soften the land we'll talk about that in part three